I would have kept focusing. I think you need your best wicketkeeper in such a big series. So to see him um, being left out, I thought was very disappointing. And uh, I think Zach Crawley's a very lucky guy, very lucky man. Welcome to the latest episode of Caught Down a Legside. On this week's show, we discuss England's first test squad selection of the summer, including thoughts on Bearstow and Folks. The guys talk Rob Key, how umpires prepare for big test series, the Rachel Hayho Flint Trophy, and just why Gunner made the switch from coaching to umpiring. I hope you enjoy the episode. everyone and welcome to this month's show gentlemen how is everyone very well thank you yeah fine thanks mate yeah south coast is lovely thank you marvelous marvelous now listen lots to cover on today's show um but i guess there's only one place to start what with england squad being announced today for the island test uh which i guess reveals their hand for the ashes with johnny bearstone named as keeper batsman Crawley keeping his spot as opener and, and obviously Ben Folks clearly losing his place. Good to get you guys' thoughts. Jerry, maybe start with you. What are your thoughts having um, today? I'll be honest, disappointed. I would have kept focusing. I think you need your best wicketkeeper in such a big series. So to see him um, being left out, I thought was very disappointing. And uh, I think Zach Crawley is a very lucky guy, very lucky man. Um, I'm not sure how his technique is going to fare up against the likes of Cummins and Stark and Hazelwood. So we shall see. Hopefully I've got it wrong. Gutted for Archer, obviously, you know, him missing out. Um, He would have been a real weapon for that series. So disappointed for him, you know, disappointed for England. So hopefully he'll uh, he'll get himself right. But I think it's going to take a while again. Gunnar, what have you heard? Have you heard anything more on Archer from... From Dan and Hove? No, nothing. No, it just it was revealed this morning. Uh, I heard it like everybody else did on the news. And I'm so disappointed for this young man. He's a, he's a really lovely little fella. Um, and he's tried he's tried to get himself fit and it just hasn't worked this time. I did read a report, that, and I remember this, when Patrick Cummins, I did his first test in, I think it was Johannesburg, and three years later I did his second test in Cape Town. Um, so there's hope there for Joff, but, you know, Patrick was a lot younger, but uh, it's such a shame for him. And I'm with Jerry on this a little bit. You know, uh, Bairstow's only kept once uh, since he's been back and apparently it was a horrific injury. Um, so I'm a little bit worried about that. But I'm a little bit worried about James Anderson. At, what is he, 52, getting injured? <laughs> He's he's got a groin strain, and they don't. As you get a bit older, they don't seem to heal very uh, quickly. And uh, Ollie Stone seems to be he's put back on the treatment table. Um, who replaces these guys? Broad, Robinson, and who? Potts, Curran, I suppose. Sam Curran. They've, they've got they've got Wokes in the squad, haven't they? 
first test is Edge Baston, isn't it? So I wonder whether they're thinking about um, works for that one. For the first this, test to Edge Baston. Sorry, uh, Simon. Is this a, a test team to play Ireland or to play Australia? No, I think it's. I think at the moment it's it's just for the Ireland test. Uh, but they have selected a squad of fifteen because they're picking a side for Australia pretty early here because there's another round of championship matches that strikes me as a lot of players are going to be playing in again. Um, yeah, well, we'll see. I wonder they might have a look at Berso, see how he's going, just trying to get him, get him in Nick, and then if he <laughs> if he does the old symbols and stuff like that, whether they'll go. Mm, perhaps we need folks back for the test test against the Aussies. I don't think they're thinking of folks at all, you know. You wouldn't Would leave you not? that one and then bring him back. On that then, Jerry, you know, you say that Zach Crawley's a lucky guy and I'm, I'm not going to make a comment on that because he'd probably come jumping at me. But <laughs> would you be looking at, in the ashes then, saying, right, to Bearstow, you go and open the bat and slap it wherever you want to slap it and folks, he comes back in and does the stumping? Yeah. Or is that a bit too forward thinking? No, I mean, that that, that was... Pretty much what I've written down, actually, for the Ashes team was to have Bairstow opening with Duckett and uh, Folksy coming in at seven. Um, yeah, that, that that's what I'd like to see. But I'm not sure, as I say, that's going to happen based on yeah. I know it's an Ireland selection. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're thinking ahead. They're not going to just put... I don't think they'll alter the squad for the Ashes. I can't see that. I think that's the thing for me with, with Bairstow keeping wicket. Is even if they've made a decision and I don't think folks is the right person, with Bearstow, the injury that he's had, you know, it's to you know, it's a bad break in the leg. You know, as a keeper in a five-day test, and you're you're up and down as a keeper, that's not great on the legs, which you've only just come back from that kind of injury. Yeah, I think that's a really brave call. I just think because he's you know, he's, he's not the best of keepers. He's not the worst. He's not the best. But just coming back after an injury, you know, how's his mobility going? You know, how many, how many games has, it, has been on his feet, diving around here, there and everywhere to, you know, not sort of county bowlers, but he'll be doing it now to international bowlers. You know, where the old ball zips around sometimes after it's gone past the batsman as well. And if he's going a little bit quicker, it'd be interesting to see how he copes with it. All he wants is a couple of like early little um, fumbles and stuff like that. Pressure's right on him. Yeah, I, I had Bear slow down to open the innings as well uh, with folks down there and sort of that. You know, if he did okay and they, they wanted to drop folks and bring Bear slow down the bottom, I thought they could have done that. But to do it straight out, I thought it's quite an, quite a brave move. Now, a piece of homework that I did give you all that uh, you've kind of alluded to was to get you to name your Ashes eleven. Um, now, obviously, with the announcements this week about the, the squad, the top seven is obviously pretty clear, clear cut. But what what did you guys put down for bowling attacks? Well, I went for four seamers and Stokes with Root yep. as, a, as a bit of off spin. Um, and my seamers were Robinson, Wood, Broad and Anderson. Yeah, I um, I went for four seamers as well. I, put, I bought Wokes in for that one as it's um, Edge Baston. I went Wokes, Robinson, Wood and Broad because I've got a feeling that Anderson might not be ready to go, mm. as Gunnar said earlier. I had the four, was Jerry, I had Anderson in that before, this sort of groin, whatever. Uh, I think you've got to play four steamers and Stokes, because I'm not so sure whether Stokes is going to be doing too much bowling. Um, but he's such a good batter that changes games. 
I would have liked to have seen um, what's the boy from Surrey that said off? Oh, he's been travelling the world but never got a game. I'd like to have seen him in the squad. What's his name? Jack. Jacks. Will Jacks. Just get him in there because you can get to Edge Baston and it can be dry. Um, you know, he's a real, he's a fine cricketer, this lad. Um, but look, I think they'll probably go with the four seamers and play seven batters. Yeah, I agree with that. And my, I, I went with um, the exact same four seamers as, as you guys as well. I've gone for Anderson. He didn't tweak his groin at, against Somerset. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. with Potts, because Potts is in form, isn't he? He's doing pretty well at the moment. So he is, to be fair. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, could see him coming in quite easily. Yeah, he's had a good start to the year, Potts. He looks a good cricketer as well. He looks a real um, like he wasn't phased last year when he got in the Test cricket. So um, I think he might be all right. Now, one of the things we discussed last month's show was obviously the odds. There was various Australians coming over and playing county cricket. There was the whole discussion about Division One versus Division Two cricket, and it's been been interesting looking at the likes of Smith and Labuschagne and Hanscom, etc., in Division Two cricket, and they've not set the world alight at all in in Div Two. I mean, I know Labuschagne got one big hundred, but aside from that, they've not. They've not really come over and, uh, you know, got, got got going straight away. There's also Marcus Harris under the radar here as well. There's a lot of them, you know. Dear old Sussex by the sea got slaughtered for bringing in Steve Smith. Um, and the way he's going to be in the second team on Thursday, so we won't have to worry about it. But um, there's, there's quite a number of them here. And look, under the radar is also Abbott... Uh, at uh, Surrey. Yep. Nessa at Glamorgan. Glamorgan. They're all having a nice little bowl and getting themselves prepared. Because as I said last week, you know, the three main bowlers of Australia at the moment are not 150% fit. Do you know what I mean? They're not... You keep hearing things about Mitchell Stark, you hear things about Hazelwood. I think um, the captain's fit, Pat Cummins. But these other four or five youngsters that are having a run out in county cricket are doing ever so well. Um, you know, Nessa, I saw the other week play at Glamorgan. He looks a very good cricketer. Uh, Abbott is a good cricketer. I believe Boland's loitering around the English shores as well somewhere, waiting to play. So, you know, and I think they've got a practice match coming up at Beckenham and, and Arundel where they play Australia, A play Australia. So that must mean there's an absolute shed full of them here loitering somewhere. Cameron Bancroft. You can come yeah, across Cameron's him. Yeah, yeah you Cameron's come across here. him or not? I've come across him once. Very charming <laughs> young man. He's the only one I know who's apologised so far. I can't wait to bump into Smithy and David, <laughs> David Saker and uh, Darren Lehman. I'm sure they'll be over it. On the topic of Smithy, how's, um, how's the buzz in Hove this week? You know, it's been built as the Labashane versus Smith contest. Well, at the moment, they ain't, the two of them ain't rocking too much at the moment, so it might be a damp squid. But the one thing about this pitch that they'll be playing on at Hove will be an absolute belter to bat on, um, unless something goes dramatically wrong overnight. Um, so they'll have the best opportunities to, to show their form. Um, 
So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Be interesting to see. But at the moment, there's a lot of talk about it. There's a dinner tomorrow night. Welcoming Steve to the county ground, Hove. I think he's actually even opening a local pub as well. So he's having a busy time of it all. We're getting value for money for the lad. But look, they just haven't done it yet. They haven't done it. You know, it's it's in, it's, in, it's interesting to see Hanscom got bowled out twice at, at Leicester this game here by, you know, just an average seamer in his own right. But no, there's none of these Aussies have actually set us alight yet. Perhaps they're holding back. They're just holding the powder dry. It's sun on their backs. Weather changing a little bit. Pitches might be flattening a little bit, possibly. Yeah, look, without doubt, Simon, you know as well as I know, mate, that the wickets have all been damp all around the county circuit. They've all seen, you know, if dear old Darren Stevens and David Masters were back in action, they're probably on 45 <laughs> wickets by now. <laughs> but it, it's been tough work. You know, I've, I've been around all the grounds watching people umpiring. It's been tough for the boys umpiring as well. Um, so, yeah, it's... But as you rightly say, mate, there's some good weather coming now, so, you know, there should be some shed falls coming about. But last month we discussed the preparation an umpire goes through for the county yeah. season. Ahead of a big test series... How do how does a team of umpires like prepare for that? Do you sit down, have various meetings as a group? Do you sit down with the captains? Like talk us through some of the prep that you would have well, typically you'd, you'd gone through ahead of a big series. You'd all come in four days before. Um, you know, a lot of the lads be you know coming from far and flung places and whatever. Um, not so bad this now with the Aussies because we might have Gaffney, Chris Gaffney from New Zealand is the longest one in. He'll probably come in five or six days before we could get over jet lag, but we'd all meet. Uh, but we'd all be given emails of of the planning from the England and Wales Cricket Board. So you would have two days to yourself. So if I was in Australia going there and I had five days, I'd just walk the first two days just to try and get everything out of the system. But then you would come into the game mode where you would sit round a table with your partners and discuss various players and what you're looking for. The referee would then tell you what he's looking for. Um, and also, is there anything during the game we need to be doing, like the national anthems, all that sort of nonsense stuff. But two days out, religiously, and sometimes three days out, you'd go to the nets. Two sets of nets. Home team are normally in, in the morning, way team in the, evening, in the afternoon. And you'd go there. And that's, that's a place where you build bridges, you see players that are making debuts you've never seen before, especially bowlers. Uh, so you get a, a look at them. Uh, you also get what's been going on in the world of cricket. You know, a lot of this lot will be coming back from the IPL and there'll be a lot of stories coming from the IPL about what he's done and what he's done and all this stuff. So in that period of time, you've now got yourself focused in. You're in. Uh, and then it's just a matter of waiting and it's a long couple of days then, waiting for, you know, you get to the ground at 9, 9.15. Uh, and it's just a magical atmosphere, magical atmosphere. And, you know, that's the bit that I sadly miss. You know, that bit, the first morning walking out at Melbourne, 120,000 lunatics, whatever. But the atmosphere was special. 
And, you know, these guys that come in here, Edge Baston, that be riotous, Lords would be very nice and posh. And, and then we go on from that. But it's it's a big challenge. This You know, this series is England-Australia. Though it's probably not the two best, you know, at the moment, go to India and India versus Australia is a big series as well. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a very challenging series here. But now, and as Jerry's going to say, and Trevor's going to say, well, you don't umpire anymore, do you? You only just count to six, didn't it? You know, call no balls, you don't count anything now. Now you haven't got to put a finger up for a soft signal. I don't make that. yourself a fool there anymore. So, <laughs> well, what about these reviews for wives? That's good crack, isn't it? Absolutely scandalous, <laughs> but that's only India again. That's only India. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, that is honestly, no, it's shocking. But look, you know, that's what it is, is, is a real Ruth, you know, rigorous approach to the you know, the foot the big thing is to me is that you set your benchmark now. The first test you set your benchmark. Because what you do, there'll be one group coming in now for the first two tests, they will disappear and another group will come in for probably whatever the third test is, I don't yeah. know where that is. Um, and they'll take over in that. And there's probably one day at the Nationals, another group will come in for that. But they're all, this year now, it's gone back to all neutral umpires. Um, so there'll be three uh, overseas umpires for the series. And an Englishman will be fourth. Um, so it's gone back to the old days. But it's, 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 a, it's a really quite a nerve-wracking time. The first test is you've got to set the, set the stall out, get everything right. And then it makes the series go easier for the rest of the group. And as umpire, like when you think back, do you, did you always prefer to get the first two tests of a series rather than no? I copped, you're coming I, copped in. The, I copped the end nonsense, right? Um, yeah, like Richard Lindworth, myself, Richard Kettleborough, we always just seem to be going in into test series putting fires out. Um, yeah. And that was my argument about, uh, and I got a bit. Got a slaughtering from Chris Gaffney about it because I thought taking Chris Gaffney and Kumar Dharmasena into the first two tests in the, the the series between South Africa and Australia, which went bang, if there would have been more senior umpires doing that, that would have been stopped because that all happened in the first test. Mm. All the nonsense happened in the first yeah. test. It spilled over into the second test where DeCock and Warner decide to have a a moment on a set of stairs and then of course then we get there four days out we go to the nets and both teams are not talking to each other or they're shouting at each other across the nets and we just looked at each other and all like illy uh, long and myself just looked at each other and went wow oh my god and they didn't disappoint us didn't disappoint us but that you knew from the lead up as soon as we arrived in Cape Town, because we were in the hotel with the Australians, something was horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. But you can't put your finger on it if no one tells you. But yeah, yeah, to yeah. me, the strongest umpires and referee, which is important, do the first two tests and get it, the law set down. Yeah. Because yeah, the great thing about it, you probably saw it on the Aussie documentary where Richard Illingworth went into the Australian change room after that series had finished. I think I was there with him, but in the background. And he just sat there and talked to him. And I think, I might be wrong here, but Mitchell Stark said to him, where is the lo uh, line in the sand, Richard? And he went, 
when I say stop. And it was as simple as that. And they respected it from that moment. You know, Justin Langer, who's coach, said, right, you just heard it. When he says stop, you stop. And they said the next series was, you know, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Miss it badly. Don't normally say that to too many people, but I do miss it. If you could just, if I could, Jerry mentioned it earlier on, it, it's the travelling that hurts you. Not the, not the plane, the travelling hurt you. Because you're always sitting on an aircraft or sitting in an airport doing whatever. If you could just got landed, you know, Doctor Who TARDIS dropped you down, <laughs> perfect. I wouldn't be this fat either. Okay, one one bit I wanted to chat about is Rob Key, who's now a year or so into his job. And we all know that he's done obviously some fantastic stuff, right? In in that year. You know, so I think that's a fair assessment. But I'd just be good to to hear from you guys what you think he's done particularly well. Um, and is there anything that you think in a year into his job that's frustrated you? I tell you the novelty of Rob Key, he's Go been on. very honest. Yep. He's been very upfront. He's spoken to the press brilliantly. He's spoken to TV. He's spoken to anyone that wants to speak to him and told him exactly the way he wants it to go. And I, I admire that. We've had too many people in the past that, you know, faffed about and talked about this, talked about that, and done the complete opposite. Rob has done a very, very honest job. And, I'm, you know, and he's brought in, you know, his decisions to bring McCullum and people like this through the door. Brendan's never had a job coaching in his life. Why did he think of him? Yeah. Matthew Mott, people like that, and his backroom staff. They've cut the backroom staff by, I'd say, 75%. I think there's still about 16 of them there, though, but, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, his biggest argument, Rob Key and, uh, and Brendan's arguments were there are too many people in the back, back room duplicating jobs. And as, as Brendan always said, to get from the academy to test cricket in New Zealand, you come across six coaches. Now, you get six mind people at our games. You get six physiotherapists. You get six masseurs. You know, it's five statisticians or whatever you want to call it, analysts. It's just honestly, it's, it's madness. And that's one thing. They said they're going to do, and they've both been very, very honest and gone ahead and done it. Yeah, I agree. I think he, I think he's been very clear. He's simplified uh, how he wants England to play, how, how he wants his boys to play, and how to get the best out of those players. I think he's made it. He's almost gone back to you know back to the start again and just simplified everything. Just told everybody, I think what what his expectations of them are, um, and just go out and deliver it with some freedom. I think, you know, I think it's as easy as that. Well, it's not easy, obviously, but, you know, in terms of his thinking and his his process, I think um, he's got it spot on. Yeah, and I, I, I like the way that he hasn't seeked the limelight. You know, to your point, Gunner, you know, Keezy seems to, you know, he's, he's very amenable and really open, but he's not kind of gone out there and seeked the limelight as England have enjoyed this success. He's kind of preferred to... It feels like he's preferred to kind of have that, you know, be out, be out the limelight, you know, let let Stokes and McCullum take all the credit. 
you know, which I think is a real positive. He was, look, he's only doing what he did as Kent captain. He just run the show. He run Kent Cricket Club, basically. And I think, you know, he talked to anyone at Kent when they were going through some really seriously tough times. They've got Rob Keat to think that they're still going. Um, you know, I think he's just a straightforward boy that rather, mm. you know, go and have a game of golf, talk to people and then get on with his life after. You know, he's as you rightly say, he doesn't jump in front. It's easy for him, don't forget, he's come from the media. He knows how to work the media. But the other thing is I think the media respect Rob because they haven't hounded him. They just let him get on with what he's got to do. And they probably sat back in their chairs laughing their socks off. Do you think there's any areas that he could improve? I don't know what there is to improve. You know, we all sit on the edges of our chairs now waiting for us to get bowled out for 32 um, or get 556 in a day. You know, it's it's just remarkable now watching how it's gone. For the modern-day child, modern-day you know, youngster, this is perfect for him. This is perfect. It's just madness in whites instead of putting colours on. It's it's wonderful. And I just like the way they've gone about and done it. Um, and Brendan, to be fair to him, he hasn't sought attention. So I think they've just done it very well. Very impressed. Well, I had a run-in with him down at Wormsley once. So I try and avoid doing anything to do with Rob Key, but I think he's done a pretty good job. <laughs> I'd like you to talk me through what this run altercation was, Trevor. It, it was it was it was during a very wet day, like that, and he started having to go about the covers and stuff like that. So I told him what I thought. Um, yeah, but then yeah, after that, but two people were probably speaking their mind. I should think. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know if you were playing that day, Jerry, or not. I can't remember. Uh, so what day were you played? I remember. I've heard the story about thirty-four times, though. <laughs> Twenty less than when you hit that six at Wormsley. I did hit a six at Wormsley. <laughs> you never told me that. Mm. <laughs> just, right, just, well, just going back to, to Rob Keane, possibly what he could do, and I, I don't think there's any real quick solution to this, but there's clearly something going on with injuries, and, and how on earth do you prevent these guys from getting? You know, serious injuries that keep them out of the game for months and months, if not years, with stress fractures, etc. You know, is is it the, the way that that they're allowed to go and play in franchises? I don't think there's any getting away from that. Is it too much cricket, or is it the way that they're being managed throughout the seasons? I just don't know. You know, but but it's something that uh, he's probably very frustrated about, and probably something that could be looked at maybe. I don't understand why it's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those interesting ones, isn't it? Is you look at me- medical departments these days in all sports, and they they kind of I know they try they train the players to the nth degree that actually it can actually backfire on you. You know, you look back at probably the old days, Gunner, when you were playing. Um, steady, steady on, right? Very, very old days. No, but I've had this conversation with people at football. You, you speak back to players from you know the eighties and and nineties. And actually, there was rarely the amount of injuries that you got today. Yet you look at the way that players train now and coached and everything that's done to their bodies. But there seems to be more injuries now than there were than the, the days when probably Gunner, you were probably having a pint after every every day's play. Well, I think that's one of the biggest fallouts of it all. I'm sure Brendan and Rob Key would bring that back in if they had the options. But- <laughs> I never, ever heard in my playing days a stress fracture. Never heard of it. 
because you didn't go. If you had a sore back, you weren't sent to the medical department in Maribone to have a scan because that was unheard of. You took a few pills and a bit of that other that oil stuff and you rubbed it on your back and you got on with your job. But the moment now is the biggest thing is everything is health and safety. So, you know, as soon as somebody cries wolf of, you know, I remember the great story of Simon Jones, who's bowling at my end in a one-day international, he'd run in and banged his front foot down and it sounded like he'd broken his foot. And he rolled and he rolled and screamed and shouted. And what he'd done, he'd broken the plastic plate on his boot, the sole of his boot. Now he thought he broke his foot. So, you know, it's, it's madness. It's absolute madness. But the thing is with it now, people, they do train, you know, really well. They're supreme athletes now, to be fair to them. You know, you don't see too many beer bellies flying around there now. But it catches up on you. And like it, lump it or leave it, there is so much cricket to be played now. Travel, you know, going back to Will Jacks, I think he said he'd had 16 journeys in five months. You know, and he says he got hamstrings sitting sitting on an aeroplane. I can fully understand that. He got a tight leg muscle problem, but at the moment, it, it, it's, but what I do come to is how are Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad still going? Then that's what worries me slightly. And they don't complain. Poor, you know, Jimmy's got probably a groin strain, but if he, if someone hadn't said something, he would have kept it quiet and carried on playing. You know, I don't know. I don't know, but it's just an awful lot of players falling down. Yeah, yeah. but interestingly, so, 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 interesting, just to, to your point, now, Jerry, Jimmy and Brody aren't playing franchise cricket. They're not yeah. travelling all around the world for these short periods all the time or franchises. They're getting rest and recuperation. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. What, what What is the answer? You're seeing it creeping into the women's game now as well, stress fractures. Um which is a worry, you know, which is a concern. Um, is it too much playing? Is it the way they're being managed off the off the field? I don't know. But, I, you know, questions need to be asked, I think, because it's becoming quite frequent. And these girls aren't going around the world currently playing franchise cricket like the men. Um, so is it something else? Too much cricket, potentially. Do you think also the different formats play, an ex- play into it as well? So if you're taking the women's... Cricket, you you change it from I mean, it may seem minor, but ten overs to four overs, back to ten overs, back to four overs, or in the men's game, you you've got players that are playing. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me because, like you know, when Dunham was playing before that, blokes used to just bowl overs and overs and overs, and that's all they used to do. They just would bowl so many overs, get in a routine, but then they didn't have to change the different formats, and they were bowling lots of overs. So. Yeah, whether it is they're trying trying a lot of different stuff now and slower balls and you know whether that puts different strains on different parts of the body and stuff like that. Yeah, interesting thought, isn't it? Because gunner, you'd have played with people who would have bowled thousands of overs. Yeah, that's all they did. Yeah, you didn't even entertain going to the gym. I mean, didn't even have one at the ground. <laughs> now it's almost compulsory to be seen to be going to the gym to get a tick in the box. Uh, I know one or two county coaches are now moving away from that quite quickly because they're starting to think that that is one of the biggest things. People pulling up big weights, trying to be big time Charlie and things like this. 
But I'm with Jerry a little bit. It's there is so much cricket. I've just been sent through this month's uh, blast, Flint, Rachel O, Flint, all the ladies' tournaments. Australia A ladies are here playing Australia, England. It is just, it is colossal. It is mm. unbelievable how many games of cricket there is. Mm. And, you know, the younger generation, Jerry, will get this because there's a lot of young ladies now playing decent cricket. You know, I went to watch a game the other day and there's like 16, 17-year-old girls playing in that. But they're also get, getting, they're not contracted to anything. So their clubs, their counties, their county coaches, their physios, their SNC, whatever those people are called, are ringing them up saying, you need to come in. Not thinking about their welfare, that they've actually had three games in four days. They've travelled 400 miles, yeah. that they actually physically need a rest. Yeah, 100%. And it's almost, it's almost, in my opinion, I get my eyes about this, it's a little bit, it's justifying their jobs that they've got to have these people in. And I'm just watching people falling over doing fielding drills, gymnasium work, sprint drills. You know, I saw two young girls, two young ladies at Beckenham the other day. I thought they were trying to for the Olympics. Yeah. You know, and they were playing in another game. They weren't playing in that game. They were playing in another game the following day, a 50-over game. And they'd wasted, spent all their energy on the Saturday to play on the Sunday. Yeah. I don't get that. No. Bodies can't at that age. Bodies can't take it. The modern day youngster cannot take that anymore. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. I've seen it frequently, uh, and it, and it's not just that. It's the it's the travelling as well. Yeah. The expectation of travel. It's it's madness. But to give somebody a day off, it's like I've got to ask six people to do that because I don't want to lose my job. Why am I giving somebody? A, no, it's it's nonsense. Nonsense. I think it's a really interesting point. And, you know, this week is Mental Health Awareness Week, right? And you, you imagine actually just giving players rest is good mentally. Where, you know, when you don't have that mental rest, it, the, you know, that can have an adverse effect physically as well. Gengi, we've got an old-fashioned coach down at home, Paul Farbrace, old-fashioned, loves his football, loves to kick around. Loves it all, everything like that. They had four long days at Worcester. They gave them two days off. People nearly had a coronary. Yeah. They had four long days at Leicester last game, sitting around, then playing, sitting around, rain, whatever. He gave them another two days off, which I applaud, absolutely yeah. applaud. But I bet that the lot he'd be on his own, there won't be too many people thinking that way. No. And the youngsters actually think, well, if I don't go in, I'm going to be thought of that I'm I'm cheating. I'm not, you know, I'm not. I, I need to be in. I'll yeah. go and throw. I'll go and hit some balls, or I might throw a few balls. Tell them that they're off. And the great thing that Paul did was he told the coaches, "You're off as well. I don't want to see you in the ground." So that then means the players have got no one to throw to them. Love yeah. that. Good thinking. Yeah, I think it's, it's brilliant. And the other great thing I think they did a couple of months ago, they changed the lock or the code on the gym and didn't tell anyone. <laughs> How did you manage then, Gunnar? How did you get in? I didn't go. I, okay. I, I left it out. I left it out. I went for a pint. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, 
it, I just think it's got a bit too far now. And I think this is where McCallum and Key are, are, are setting the right example in my book. Have some breathing space. Go and play golf. Go and do something you want to go and do. And as Michael says, for the men, for your mental welfare, perfect. Interesting, yeah. All the tra- all the travelling. I don't really sort of think about it too much. But you finish a game in a car. I know you sort of used to do it a bit, but it's, it's more and more now, isn't it? You're flitting here, there, and everywhere. The more games you play, sat- the more travel. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, if you if you are doing all the driving and stuff like that, you know, it's just you know, it's like sort of driving around here. It's blinking hard work. And if you're doing that after a long day's, you know, in the field or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not just the training, it's, it's media requirements. You have to go and do various media things, and then you've got your sponsorship requirements as well. You've got to go and keep the sponsors happy. So there's a lot more involved in, in, the, in, a, in a professional cricketer's life now than perhaps there was previously. Let's look at women's cricket now. Changing the subject slightly. Rachel Hayho Flint trophies kicked off since our last show. Jerry, reflections on the start of the competition? Yeah, yeah, good. It's uh, it's again, it's another long competition. It's fourteen games, fourteen matches. Five, five. The first round of five have been completed now, and they move into the uh, Charlotte Edwards Cup, which is the T Twenty format, which is a little bit shorter. Um, Good thing about that, though, it's been a lot of the matches are alongside the men's, so they're all double headers. So that should put in some better crowds, which would be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, the rain did, did as it has with all cricket, um, cause four of the matches to be rained off. Um, but you know, it's been quite exciting in terms of um, teams that are winning, teams that aren't winning. We've got, I think, everybody's won a game apart from one team, Thunder. I think the Lancashire side haven't as yet won. Blaze, who are the new Nottingham side, they've uh, they've won three and had two two rained off, and everybody's sort of grouping up and bunched up in the middle. So the breaks probably come at a good time to, to for these teams to take stock. Um, it's good to see. I've been to to the Vipers games, and uh, it's good to see the attendances seem to be up. So I think you've got more people watching, which is great. Um, there's been the, the matches themselves haven't particularly been close. There's been big variations in scores. We saw South East Stars got 330-odd in one match. And then you look at uh, Thunder, I think they got 64. Well, I might be doing them a disservice, but certainly somebody got 64. So there's been a, a wide variation of, of totals. Um, and a lot of the England girls as well, they've been sort of managed, as it were, in terms of the amount of games they can play, the amount of overs they can bowl, um, which is probably understandable, but a bit frustrating uh, at times. But... Um, yeah, no, it's, it's been good. There's been some good performances as well. You know, plenty of wickets being taken, plenty, a couple of hundreds being scored. So, looking forward to the to, to, to when it comes back. And then you've got nine, as I say, to to finish it off. And then they'll have a playoff where third and fourth play first, third and fourth play to see who plays the first team in the finals. Any um, surprise names emerging as far as any potential wild card Ashes selections? Um. Not as yeah, I wouldn't have said. You, you know, the England girls when they've been playing, they they've done pretty well. I mean, Capsie Bain took six wickets in one match. Dunkley scored a hundred, I think, in the last game. Um, outside of that, it's it's been fairly well spread. Uh, 
across across the non England contracted players, if you like. Um, there's a, there's a girl called uh, Maxud who plays at um, she plays at uh, Sunrisers and she's she's a leggy. She's taken nine wickets with an average of ten, so she's going well. You know, so there's some great youngsters coming through. There's certainly going to be some names out there. I wouldn't say for this summer's Ashes. I don't think they're particularly going to change the squad too much. But certainly, as we move out of the Ashes series, I think we've got a, England have got another series later on in the year against Sri Lanka. I think that could be a really good opportunity to assess those girls that have played in these competitions and maybe bring one or two of them through there. Gunnar, have you seen much of the uh, Rachel um, Hey Ho Flint trophy? Uh, I've seen three games that have all been, as Jerry says, that have been very one-sided. Uh, I did watch a very, very good performance at Beckenham by, I believe it's by the Vipers. Um, they just looked a stunning side and it just showed um, to me how far ladies cricket has come. It is, honestly, that game there, the ball's getting it everywhere. Yeah. Um, the standard of fielding was unbelievable. And I mean, unbelievable. Um, and it was just, it, the more you go and watch it, the more you're going, five years ago, I couldn't have believed this. Mm. You can believe it now. You know, and it's proper throwing the bat at the ball, a huge swing, like a golf swing, where, you know, the ladies used to knock it down to third man and find leg. These people are clearing the boundaries by 20 metres proper boundaries um, I saw a young lady and I'd love to know her name she kept wicket for whoever Vipers played at Beckenham I'm not sure it was Southern Stars is it South East Stars South East Stars a young lady kept in that game I think she might who keeps for the Vipers uh, a girl called Rana Southby is, is she brand new she is this year she moved from Surrey to Vipers yeah. she's the lady that kept wicket in that God almighty, she kept beautifully, yeah. got lovely, like Ben Folks it was. Yeah, she stood good there, gloved the ball. It, no, it, was, it was great to watch. And I, look, I, I watched it up till five years ago and I was, you know, you always come on, how far is this going to go? But I know when that young lady from Sophie Devine nearly knocked my head off at Taunton, um, when I didn't expect it to be coming back quite as hard as it came back, <laughs> live on TV, which everyone, for some reason, found quite amusing as I'm on my backside. But it has moved on its real... Well, Jerry's right in saying that. A lot of these are double-headers now. And I believe that there's going to be men's games, some men's games before the ladies' games. So mm. that'll mean there'll be a huge crowd there. Imagine that at the Oval. Men's game at 12 o'clock, ladies at 6. Wow. Mm. They'll be partying by that stage. I can tell you, 20,000 would sound like 100,000. But the, the girls deserve this, and it's now for them to show that they can do it in that environment. Because it, yeah. it will it'll be brilliant to see. And the one thing I will say, Tremors, just for your sake, the pitches that I've seen the ladies play on have been exceptional. Good, bouncy pitches so the, the ladies can hit through the ball. It's been it's been brilliant, and the, the county grounds of, and Beckenham, which is I suppose Kent's county second ground. Mm. You know the wickets there, outfields there. Yeah, that's what yeah. the girls deserve. Yeah, yeah, and the umpire has been good too, Gunnar. To be fair, yeah, we've got in one the or two in. There. We've got one or two in that that are pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, and there's one. You know, they, I, I, they're coming through. 
as quick as the players. That's, mm. the, that's the greatest thing. And I think in time, a bit like the men's cricket, ladies that are coming out of the game through injury or just a bit of bad luck that haven't quite made it, it's now the occupation of umpiring is a good occupation for them to get into, well paid and a long career and stay within the game. Yeah. Um, and I do, and I think I said this, Jerry, last time I was rattling on, um, is I do believe ladies' cricket will be umpired by like all ladies as time comes on. Worldwide, that is. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. Um, so we'll see where we go with that. That's good. A lot it's starting to happen. It is definitely. We, we had the Vipers against the Central Sparks of our place in it, and that was a really, really good game. And the uh, Sparks had four decent seamers. Is it? Is it Katie Georgia left armour, Jerry? Yeah. Katie Georgia. Oh, Katie fantastic Georgia was there, not she? Yeah, it's got a fantastic right. action. Just, just come back from a stress fracture, interestingly enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she did it playing golf. <laughs> no, so that, was, that was great great watching that that was a good, that was a good game of cricket as well it good was game of cricket yeah, so, yeah. Tremors, you must have noticed the difference from I mean you, you've hosted England women's internationals a few years ago to you know yeah. as you say looking at the game when we were there obviously as well for that Sparks game yeah um, the difference over those two or three years oh it's unbelievable I mean it's, the, the the thing I like most is like there's some some pace bowling there as well. You know, everybody knows it, it's a better game when the ball's coming onto the bat a little bit, you know, and down to good pitches. But you've got to have the bowlers who want to, you know, want to push the ball through. And seeing them bowling bouncers now and stuff like that, I mean, it, it, it's great. It's great. I, mean, I remember watching it. My old right back from uh, my days out in Somerset, my football team went on to Captain England, Helen Plimmer. And, um, you know, I watched them in the World Cup. It's probably, I don't know, 89 or something like that and the game from then it's like it's like totally different you wouldn't recognize it you know they struggle to hit the ball over the top and stuff like that and now it's like hit it over the top over the top of the sight screen they're in it now so you know how, how it's come on and um technically it's so good it's so mm. good so yeah but no it's, it's nice to see him just just coming in and trying to bowl the odd bouncer and stuff like that it's like oh this has changed a bit <laughs> And Jerry Lindsay happy with her start to the season? Yeah, she, she. I think she liked to have taken a few more wickets, obviously. But um, yeah, very good economy rate. In, she bowled well in that that game at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. She keeps well. it. She keeps it particularly tight at one end, and uh, hoping wickets come the other end. But as I said, it's a long season; those wickets will come. going to move on now tremors last week was somerset day i uh i saw on your facebook feed absolutely uh, picturing yourself with messrs botham and richards so i thought let's give some airtime to you west country boys <laughs> so i'm gonna start with gunner some of your memories of playing and umpiring at somerset um i think tremors remember this the four all four alls pub just outside the ground I seem to remember that on a regular basis with Messrs Garner, uh, Botham, Denning, Rose, Breakwell. It was a madhouse, absolute madhouse. Uh, Taunton's a wonderful town for that if you want to drink cider and fall all over the place. You've got to watch the river. Um, look, 
I still held the record until two years ago. There were David Gar in the World Cup against Sri Lanka. We put 168 for the six wicket. I got 983. 1983. I think I got eight or ten, and he got 157. Um, and it's remembered for a dog just walking across the ground. So that's how important the game was. Uh, umpiring there, it was flat, lovely, bounced, perfect four days there. Taunton's a lovely place to go and play cricket. But I look, I don't really have too many special memories of the place. I'll uh, tell you the other thing I remember of Taunton. I just remembered it now. In one corner, as you came in, they had a beer tent there. And if you played a Sunday league game there, they got in, they opened the gates at 10 o'clock for a two o'clock start. I have never seen anything like that. Jesus, I've never seen people as drunk as that. The only time I've seen them as drunk as that is at half past 10 in Tasmania when they fell over the rope. But no, it's a, it's a special place, but it's, uh, it's now a beautiful cricket ground. Really is a lovely yeah, place. Is. Now, Tremors, a question to put you on the spot. So you've got, obviously got a ton of Somerset greats that you absolutely love and adore. If you were hosting a barbecue and you could only invite one of those Somerset greats, who would it be and why? Well, it's funny, actually. Uh, Gunnar just mentioned him, like, and it won't be him, but Peter Denning. I was sort of brought up. Uh, watching Dasher playing and he was great left-handed little nuggety bloke and he'd be a great one to uh, come to a barbecue because his, his old man only butchers and chew and mend it and so you could probably get a load of free food off him so that'd be quite good but um no it'd have to, it, it would have to be my hero Viv Viv so come on, I'd quite happily do a barbecue for Viv a couple of pints of scrumpy and then we can just go on to the rum so I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't mind sharing a few uh, glasses of rum with, and scrumpy with Viv because he, he is my absolute hero. I was lucky brought up down there um, at the same sort of time. I was playing for the Somerset YCs when he was, you know, at his, his pomp and they used to just watch him in the final at Lords every year, whether it's for Somerset or whether it was for the West Indies or the 79 World Cup final when he, like, blitzed it. Uh, yeah, he's, he's just, I've seen Memo at Wormsley quite a few times and he's just an absolute legend. So I'd cook 24 hours a day for him if I could. Gunnar, you must, what was that like keeping to him? He never saw the ball, <laughs> he never missed it. It was, a, it was like holiday camp when you were behind Viv, he just he didn't miss it. But the thing was with Viv, <laughs> modern day players they say they hit the ball hard. Now, Viv had a like a little what plank with balsa wood in his hand and he hit it miles you remember that time he got what did he get at Old Trafford 180 did he 189 189 yeah. and I reckon the only chance he gave was to the gateman in the back in car park 2 he hit it that far <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that he, was a superb he's a genius, I he's a genius of a man as well Trevor that's the great thing about it and he, he's a lovely lovely yeah. man he's a yeah, very graceful absolutely. man the yeah. problem is with Viv, when you go to Antigua, he's got a brother, David, and he's a ringer for him. Honestly, I, I actually sat in a bar thinking it was Viv one night. That's how strong that rum is. Right, I'm going to close with uh, the usual support questions for you, Gunnar. All right, the two that we've received. Who was the toughest bowler that you kept to? Wayne Daniel. And Wayne what made Daniel. Wayne, what made Wayne so tough? He didn't know where it was going. 
in his in his first two years he came to to England. I played against him. <laughs> this is how I realised Mike Gatton was such a great player. We played on a relay pitch at the top end of Lords, England under 19s versus the West Indies. And Wayne, no one had heard of Wayne. He came steaming in there and he hit everyone. And I mean, he hit everyone. Anyway, he came on trial to Middlesex the following year. And we used to have the nets where the ECB offices is now. Indoors they were. Well, they were indoors, but they're outdoors. They had no covers on the site. No real, no real proper light. And I just had me wandering past when Don Bennett said, do us a favour and just go and face this bloke. And I couldn't see him. He was running from St John's Wood Road. Yeah, they opened the gate for the bloke. He bowled me this first ball and Gubby Allen was behind the old net. Fag on. Puffed his fag and went, that's enough. We will sign this boy. Anyway, we signed him. And honestly, we were lucky enough. I think I said this before. We had Philip Edmonds. Well, we weren't lucky. We had Philip Edmonds playing for us. But he got us a deal with Sketchley's. Well, my whites were like, I'd just been playing at Stag Meadow in the 70s, covered in mud and garbage. Oh, this thing went everywhere. He swung big booming in swingers, then he bowled bouncers over. You know, it was just mad. But it was the first time that we'd all seen someone bowl that quick. And I mean, fierce and quick. You know, we used to call him rent and rates because he won us so many games. We paid our rent and our rates through him. And he was astonishing. He was absolutely astonishing. But again, like Viv, Sir Viv, I should call him, he was just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. And, you know, if you ever went to Barbados to the ship in, Wayne will be sitting there in the corner and he'll tell you any story he'd like. But he was just a wonderful character. But he was... He was really difficult because he was out of the blue. He just appeared. Then the rest, the rest all came then afterwards and whatever. But the trickiest probably was when I moved to Sussex was Imran, who bowled big booming in swingers to start with and then went away on a couple of series. And I can't think where he'd gone. And he came back and started bowling out swingers as well without telling any of us. So I'm now thinking this is pitching leg stump, that's flying down. It just swing away. <laughs> and I remember Mark Nicholas nicking one and it went straight. Well, I, I was down the leg side and it went between me and first slip. Chris Waller didn't move. And it, that was the moment that you just saw the genius of Imran because he was an absolute genius. With a ball in hand, God, he was a genius. But Wayne was definitely the toughest, toughest. I can still feel it on my hands now. Oh. <laughs> Sitting in Lord's changing room. I don't think anyone went in the old changing room. You had those big bowls, sinks. I used to put ice in it and just stand there with my hands in the, you know, what's called it? And then Mike Breeder would go, I think, Ian, you should go night watchman. I couldn't even feel my hands, let alone a bat. <laughs> so, yeah, but Wayne was, and he's just a terrific lad. You know, you talk to anybody that played in that era. It's, it, no one would have a bad word about Wayne. Fantastic fella. Love that. Love that. Tremors, I won't ask you about the uh, toughest bowl that you kept to, mate. I kept to Imran Khan, actually. I did a charity game at the Bank of England. I kept to Imran Khan, and my first slip was Clive Lloyd. So that was quite interesting. Oh, there we I, go. I kept, I, I, kept, I kept to Vasbert Drake's once, and um, 
you know much about Vaz, but and I, you know, first ball sort of stopped it cleanly on my on my chest, and then moved back about ten yards for the next one. It was like, yeah, that was that was that was quite brisk. That was interesting. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, I've got a cap to him run as well. Yeah, fair play, Gunner. You've got something in common. I take it back, mate. I take it back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to go down to physios. I'm just gonna go. And get, I've just done my back in picking up Tremors' his names. Imran Vaspra who else you got All right, last last question for you Gunnar what what made you move from from coaching into umpiring Uh, quite simple I've got a sack at Middlesex coaching (laughs) what had happened was um, it was one of those silly things two years previous before I'd finished at Middlesex three umpires had picked the wrong day to turn up so the day late, or they just broke down. So I remember going on field just at square leg uh, and just doing a bit of umpiring from there. And I thought to myself, Jesus, it's all right, this. Then I convinced myself I used to be slagging umpires off left, right and centre when I played. And certainly when I was coaching, um, I didn't thought, no, that can't, can't do it. But then I spoke to two great people, uh, Neil Aberley and, uh, uh, and Peter Sainsbury, who was at... Uh, Hampshire at the time and they said going to look why not have a go of it you know I, I was still coaching at, at Middlesex just about coming to the end of it middle of August so I just phoned the ECB up and said look I'd like to think about going into umpiring would there be a chance and they said look we've got two second 11 games uh, why not go and do it and leading up to that I was starting to get itchy feet people were taking the mickey out of me how can you do that job you poacher turning gamekeeper and all that sort of nonsense so I got a bit windy about it but my wife said to me Ian you love this game you adore the game why get out of the game give it a go so I went and did these two games and Jesus I enjoyed it and you know the 24 years or whatever I did of it was probably the most the best part of my whole career you know starting in 75 playing then coaching um yeah, that's how it all came about. And then I was invited to go on the reserve list. Uh, so I went on to that, which is like 30 days a year. And as you know, Michael, I had a business doing sports grounds and things like that. So it suited. Um, anyway, one afternoon, I was driving back from sunny Folkestone um, doing a one-day game. And my phone went, pulled over. There's Andy Smith. He said, Gunner, what are you doing Saturday, Sunday, Monday? I said, I'm doing nothing. Moment besides, I might have to go and in the Windsor Boys score and mark a pitch out for the boys to play the following day. He said, well, can you get out of that? I've got a game for it. I said, well, yeah, what is it? He says, uh, first team game. I went, Jesus. You know, and all I was doing was second team game. I said, yeah, but I'm going to have to go home. I can't travel tonight because I've got to go and I just had my green and blue horrible kit on for the one day game. I had to go home and get my whites. So anyway... I said, where's it at? He said, oh, it's at Chelmsford. He said, uh, starts at 11. Get yourself there as soon as you can. I never thought anything more of it. Essex, who are they going to be playing? Kent, someone like that. be lovely. Anyway, I got home, sat into my wife and my late brother, Barry, and he's going, he said, well, that'd be great. Who, who they got? I said, I don't know. So he went on, the, oh, here we are. This is how old I am. We went on teletext. And who do you think they were playing? <laughs> Australia in a warm-up game. They're playing. They're full 11. Worn, everyone's playing. It was 
I was driving there, I've got to say, I don't look nervous too often, but I had sweaty hands and traffic was terrible. But honestly, it was one of the greatest experiences of all time. And I was very lucky because Justin Langer was with the Australians and obviously Justin was with us at Middlesex and I got on really well with Justin. Um, so he made me feel quite at home. But uh, no, it was a great experience. And from then onwards, it it just went onwards and upwards. And I've got to thank one person only for it. it was a bloke called Nigel Cowley. I don't remember Nigel. Bowled a bit of off spin for yeah. Hampshire. He did a bit of umpiring. He kept getting injured. He broke his <laughs> collarbone. Put putting a cupboard up. He broke his collarbone. I don't know how you do that. I really don't. Anyway, broke his collarbone, and I did his next five games. <laughs> then one season, I was gone from 20, 20 days cricket to seventy three. Fifty two of those were Nigel Cowley's days. I can't thank him enough. I can't buy him enough beer. But that's how it all started. And, you know, it's something that I, you know, I'd never, I cherish it so much. It was so much fun. Such a laugh. And yeah, that's how it all started. Oh, by the way, I just finished it off. Sorry, I forgot. Nasser same was coming back from one of those Poppadon finger injuries he had. Kept breaking his index finger. So you can imagine Gillespie, McGrath and Brett Lee Having a go at Nasser coming in at three. Whoa, that was entertainment. It was highest order. We still Nasser and I still talk about it now. He said he's never been that frightened in his life. Great. Love it. Love it. Great story. Great story. Right. Gentlemen, thank you so much, as always. Um, Where's Smithy? I, who knows, right? Who knows when he's probably uh, farming out with his feeding his pigs. Yeah, and feeding stuff. his pigs. Feeding his, his pigs. pigs. Yeah. Let's finish with a an Ashes prediction, and I'm going to hold you to this later in the summer. So, uh, Jerry, what do you reckon? <laughs> two two, two two. Oh. Interesting, interesting. Tremors. I was going to say two two as well. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, the other one? Is the other one rained off? Tremors. Uh, <laughs> yeah, got to get a bit of rain at some stage during the summer. I can't see. I can't see Alec. Well, the way both teams play. I can't see how there can be a draw unless it rains. Because England are going to go at six and over. They're going to have a crack at five and over. Honestly, I, I can't see how it can... I don't know. I wouldn't know. I'd go three, two to either team with no extra time. I've made notes of that. I've made notes but, of that. What are you saying, Freddie? I, well, I was... Before Gunnar <laughs> said that he can't see a draw, I was actually going to go. In fact, I'm going to stick with it. Two, one to England. So I do think there'll be two draws. I think Lords will be a draw. Um, and I think one other will get rain affected. Let me tell you, I watched the game at Lords last week. It's the quickest wicket in England at the moment. Interesting. Yeah. Could, yeah. could go two and a half days. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, true. <laughs> hey, hang on, hang on. I've got a ticket for the fourth day. <laughs> in my luck. Some my luck up <laughs> Right, gentlemen, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for once again downloading. And uh, we look forward to being back with the ashes underway next month.